First Peter chapter three. That's good. First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Some translations have it this way, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The Lord wants us to be ready to give an answer to why we believe what we believe. Remember those game shows you used to watch on TV where the contestants were asked questions and if they gave the right answer... They would win a lot of money. And you sat there and you had the right answer and you said, why can't I be on there? Right answers. You know, the Lord really does want us to be able to answer a lot of the issues and the concerns that are out in our world today. We've given a title to this series, Be Ready to Give an Answer. And we're going to deal over the next several weeks with some current issues that are around in our world today. Today's, it's like uh, jumping into a swimming pool because I'm going to handle a subject that is, um, in some sense, not for really for us as believers, but in some sense, controversial. We're going to talk about the issue of transgender. And we're going to see what the Word of God has to say. The Word of God has answers to the various issues that are out in our world today. And uh, the Lord does want us to be able to um, look at the issues and see what the Word of God says. If you would be turning over to Genesis chapter 1 as we begin this subject this morning, Genesis chapter 1, which actually is the chapter that gives us some answers. In recent times, we have seen the necessity of developing what we might say is a theology of the human body, our bodies. Considering the many confusions of our day, we need to remember that God has a sovereign purpose. Don't miss this. A sovereign purpose for creating us as people with bodies that are either male or female. It's interesting from the psalm that was read this morning, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us and not we ourselves. Colossians 1.16 tells the ultimate purpose of why we are here. Speaking of the fact that Christ is creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in creation. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created by Him and for Him. And the reason you and I are here is for the Lord. We're not here for your boss. We're not here for other reasons or other people. Primarily we're here because we are to have a relationship with our awesome God. Very clear. Colossians 1 thing, uh, 1.16. All things were created by him and for him. God has given us a bodily structure 
that's unique. If you're a man, your bodily structure is unique. And if you're a woman, your bodily structure is unique. The Bible's teaching challenges fundamental assumptions that are out in our secular world. The assumptions like that our existence as male and female is really nothing more than a biological accident brought about by aimless process of naturalistic evolution. And please keep this in mind. There is no coordination between evolution, even theistic evolution, and the Word of God. They are contrary. The Bible says that God created the world in six days instantly by speaking. Evolution takes it totally different, uh, man evolving from lower life. The modern secular mind assumes that our gender identity is up to us. Some claim gender and biology are not necessarily linked together. And the claim gender is nothing more than a socially constructed concept. In other words, man's society has determined whether a person is going to be a man or a woman. Not true. Scripture clearly defines human beings as male and female. And they are not by accident, but by divine purpose. The Lord Jesus, when he was talking to the religious leaders of his day, said, don't you remember that in the beginning, he went back to Genesis chapter 1. God made man. He made man and woman, male and female. So the purpose of male and female is clearly given in the word of God by the creator. Notice with me, if you would please, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very clear text. There is the um, origination of the human family. First man, Adam. First woman, Eve. Therefore, you go on down in the text to chapter 1, verse 31, where it says, Then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. Now, that's important. When God creates something... It's very good. Now we know sin has entered into the human family and has affected the relationships between man and woman, between people in society itself. But when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect. He created them without sin. He created them for a purpose. In fact, the first thing the Lord said to Adam and Eve after he brought Eve, the woman, to the man, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, enjoy that sexual relationship which you will have. As a man, you're a man with sex, and as a woman, you're a woman with sex, and I want you to multiply and replenish the earth. 
when it says, and indeed it was very good, this reminds us of the fact that doing well and having true enjoyment in life takes place only when the goodness of God in creation is honored. Having a biblical theology of the Bible means we must affirm the goodness behind the fact that God created the man and the woman, male and female. But the brokenness due to sin in our world explains why people will do two things. One is to deny the distinction between male and female. Remember the big emphasis years ago on unisex? No unisex! Male and female. Secondly, the brokenness of our world explains why people want to change what was their assigned gender at birth. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 is an interesting verse. If you want to glance at it with me, we will move around a little bit here in Scripture. Romans 1 21. Romans 1 21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Now here you're going to get working into why people want to change their sexual identity. You're going to work your way into it here. Neither were they thankful for being made a man or being made a woman or having the relationship between man and woman. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. One translation says their minds became dark and confused. I want you to remember that word confused. In other words, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto four, uh, corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. As a result of this, God gave them over to uncleanness. They exchanged, verse 25, the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And for this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. Why? Because they didn't acknowledge God. Because they wouldn't accept the fact of the things that he created came from him and give thanks for these things. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them over to vile affections for even women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Lesbianism is mentioned before homosexuality of men in the text. Why is it in our world? Because man failed to acknowledge that God is the creator. And man was made to have a relationship with God. And so if you push God out of your life, your thinking becomes messed up. And that's my point with chapter 1 and verse 21. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. So you see, then I began reading about where did lesbianism come from? For this reason, verse 26, God gave them over. Even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, men, leaving the natural use of the woman, male and female, 
men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Why does this happen? Because they did not like to retain God in their mind, in their, in their knowledge. Therefore, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, and a number of other things. Pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, that doesn't need interpretation. You just read it. Wow. Scripture refutes any theory that promotes gender as only a social construction or that human beings are free to define themselves in a way different from their God-given biological position. Adam was created male. Eve was created female. I found this this week. It's in an excellent book called um, Man's Purpose. You are who you are for a reason. You're part of an intricate plan. You're a precious and perfect, unique design called God's special woman or man. You look like you look for a reason. Our God made no mistake. He knits you together in the womb. You're just what he wanted to make. By the way, where's that psalm that says God knit us together in the womb? 139. Very important psalm. All of God's words important. Very beautiful psalm. The parents you had were the ones he chose. No matter how you may feel, they're custom designed with God's plan in mind. For they bear the master's seal. No, that trauma that you faced was not easy. And God wept when it hurt you so. But it was allowed to shape your heart. So that into his likeness you would grow. You are who you are for a reason. You've been formed by the master's rod. You are who you are, beloved because there is a God. As we keep moving along in this topic, we need to remind ourselves that the Word of God helps us to have the right attitude towards those who are confused in their thinking. When Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion, Matthew 9:36. We have to, as believers, we have to be very careful that we don't lose compassion for those who are confused in their mind and thinking and think that things which God says are wrong before him. And they're involved in these things. We have to be careful that we maintain compassion for those who do not understand how much God loves them and desires for them, even in their lost condition, condition to change and to turn to him for a relationship. All kinds of people came to Jesus to speak with him. There's, there was the religious, the socially excluded, the sick, the poor, the rich, the young, the old, and those whose lives were, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, boy, I got a friend and he's really messed up. They came to Jesus. 
in Matthew 20 verse, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew 12 verse 20, it's said of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Now that's really something. I got a picture of that of, uh, in my mind of going through a, a wooded area and there's these reeds and you know you, you walk through and you break a reed. Uh, but it says a bruised reed he will not break. The idea is Jesus did not let fragile people crumble or collapse beneath the weight of their struggles. And God wants you and me as believers to help to encourage people who struggle with their sexual identity. God wants us as believers to help them. Jesus sought to help those who are close to, in fact, the idea in that picture that is given in Matthew 12. Jesus did not um, allow fragile people to crumble. That's the idea. He sought to help those who were close to, you know, the candle to flickering out. Help those who felt, who believed that they just couldn't go on anymore. But Jesus was there to help them. In fact, you remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me mention why I mentioned those verses. We're going to talk about a definition now. Those who experience, please don't miss this, I'll repeat it. Those who experience distress, inner anguish, or discomfort from seeing a conflict between their gender identity and their biological sex, when they have a conflict, I'm a male, and I want to be a female, or I'm a female, and I really want to be a male, they are experiencing what is called gender dysphoria. Now, that's a word you should know. Gender dysphoria. It's a inner struggle. And you say, well, maybe for some people, they're not really having an inner struggle. They're just trying to conform to society around them. Maybe so. But I heard a professor at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and I went to that one workshop and the workshop was packed it was packed and even the president of the college came in sat on the front row the professor had done a lot of counseling of people with gender here's the word dysphoria dysphoria yeah gender dysphoria and boy, did the questions come from those guys. Wham. Wow. Wham. And she said, look, I want you to remember this. And I've counseled many people in this area. And they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot. Um, and some of them are going through deep inner struggles. And I have the privilege of telling them that Jesus Christ is going to bring you through this. And she said, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. She said, I, I have seen people come through that struggle and get back to realizing that God made them a man or a woman, and they have no longer any desire to change their sexual identity. 
a person with gender dysphoria thinks, there's your key word, thinks that he or she should be, is, or would feel better if they change to the opposite sex. Repeat. A person with gender dysphoria thinks that she or he is, should be, or would feel better if they could change their gender approach to life. Depending on the individual, please keep this in mind, this inner conflict which many people experience, by many meaning those who have gender dysphoria, can be extremely painful. And the person needs genuine Christian compassion like the compassion of Christ. And I sat in that workshop. And remember I said the room was packed. They couldn't get anybody else in the room. There were other subjects that were covered. But oh, this one. It was packed. These questions are asked. Does anything cause gender dysphoria? Well, of course, the answer is going to be, oh, there's been a lot of suggestions made. One of them is that the person who feels they want to now change their gender experienced some kind of trauma back in the earlier years of their lives. That's only one theory. There are many theories. Many theories. Those who say they have experienced a trauma. Obviously, social pressure and peer pressure coming from those in their community contributes to some people feeling, maybe I too need to change my identity. So when you talk about an exact cause, why someone wants to change their identity, could be due to social pressure, peer pressure, something happened there, experience in the past. But please remember what the professor said at Moody Bible Institute. For the most part, these people have experienced deep hurt. The other question is, how common is transgenderism? The way you see the media handle the subject the way you have a former president saying transgender people ought to be allowed in any restroom they whoa any restroom they want to go in you would think that there's a whole lot of people in 2016 where do you hear this 0.3% of the population of the United States called themselves transgenders. Now, wait a minute. That's not 1%. But what does our government do? They push things out into society. Why do they do it? Your answer, you got it already. Romans chapter 1. Not 1% of people in the United States grapple with that. Now, there's some people who say, okay, we're in 2018. And this has increased. And it does increase in the public eye. As society becomes more socially accepting and tolerant, 
people reporting gender dysphoria continue to increase. Someone as well said, and listen to this, the transgender revolution represents one of the most difficult challenges for this generation of Christians. And we will have to speak to and understand what it is. Another man said, this transgender revolution is so new on the scene that most Americans are not certain of how to even talk about it. Very quickly, I'm going to pull a quick review and then we're going to summarize some solutions. What does the Bible really have to say about sex? Well, there are summary statements. You could begin to write them down. I'll bet if, if you spend some time this afternoon, you say, okay, what does the Bible say about sex? You could start writing these down. You already know them. The ultimate authority for our understanding of what is reality in life is the Word of God. Scripture alone is our final authority. Remember? The Reformation period, sola scriptura, not what the church said, it's what God said in his word. When scripture speaks, God speaks. To obey the scripture is to obey God. To disobey scripture is to disobey God. Sex was God's idea first. He created it. God created the world, the plants, the animals, and the first man. And God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness with an intellect, emotion, and will. And then in 2.18 it says, It was not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God created Eve. Two sexes. Not many. There's only two. God's first command to them together was to be fruitful and multiply. Because he made them different, he made them to be able to reproduce to join together in sexual union. And you know that when you have one person in one sex and another person in the same sex, they cannot reproduce. Can't be done. Sex is God's invention. It was designed by God for two reasons. Number one, for having children. Number two, for the enjoyment and pleasurable aspect of coming together as husband and wife something that is very unique to be experienced within the marriage relationship never outside the marriage relationship sex was invented by God so therefore he tells us how to use it in his word Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Boy, whoa, there it is. So if ever you might even think about committing adultery, drop the thought. Remember thinking? What is the problem with people with gender dysphoria? It's a thinking problem. So someone who is considering adultery has a thinking problem. You say, wait a minute, it's a heart problem. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know? But our thoughts determine our actions. So number one, sex is a beautiful gift from God. Number two, the Bible is very clear to abstain from sexual morality. God tells it specifically. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 
Acts 15.20, abstain from sexual immorality. Number three, having sex with a person creates a kind of oneness that God intended for marriage only. In fact, I didn't write the reference down, but do you remember there's a reference in in, um, 1 Corinthians where it says, if a man goes and he has a sexual relationship with a prostitute, that's someone you pay money to have sex with, there's that oneness. And probably he's going to want to go back. There's a oneness that God intended for a, a husband and a wife to have, very clearly given in the Word of God. Fourthly, the Bible says that we should run away from sexually immoral situation. What's the name of that man in, in the book of Genesis and uh, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? What was that man's name? I thought you knew that. Joseph. And he ran. He ran. There's another point, and uh, can't develop any of these. Improper sexual activity actually distorts one's thinking process. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Let's say this before we pull it all together. You and I know that God forgives sin. He forgives adultery. He forgives fornication. He forgives lying. He forgives cheating. He's a forgiving God. If someone will humble their hearts before him and say, Lord, I have failed in this area. Lord, would you forgive me? You know what the Lord's going to say? Not out loud. He's going to say, yes, I forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9, let's do it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Wow. Quickly, question. Can someone be a transgender person and a Christian at the same time? If you don't think this question is asked, you got to be re- rethinking. Got to be rethinking. Can someone be transgender and a Christian at the same time? Now let's let's work on it a little bit. A person who struggles with gender identity certainly could be a Christian. Christians struggle with other issues in life, don't they? We're all tempted too. Gender Dysphoria does not mean that you cannot be a Christian if you're struggling with, should I change my sex identity? doesn't mean that. Christians struggle with other things as well. Here's the difference. Stay with me. But a settled rejection of God's purpose for us as male and female does not line up with following Christ. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 19.4, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, creation, made them male and female? Now, a new Christian may not understand at first what it means to have Jesus Christ as Lord of one's life, may not be really into the Word of God, may not have had a a background of the teaching of the Word of God may not really fully understand even as a Christian we are to honor our parents. Someone with a struggle may not know that God says we're to honor our parents. doesn't mean we approve of what they do, but we're always to honor father and mother. It's one of the commandments. 
when it comes to biological makeup, most of you know this. Men have XY chromosomes and women have XX chromosomes. Let's pull together. Gender dysphoria comes from confusion in one's thinking. So you would go to the Word of God and you, if, if you wanted to try to help somebody, and, and again, you have to be very careful because if you have a condemning attitude, that's going to push them away. But if you have the compassion of Christ, you're going to say, I'm here to help you. I'm here to stay with you. I'm here to minister to you. Our minds can be renewed by the Word of God, right? True or false? What's the problem with gender dysphoria? The thinking. I need to change my sexual identity. So how do you get this thinking back over here? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's do it together. Try to help me. King James text. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here, let me mention this. If you want to encourage someone who is struggling with their sexual identity, you want to make sure that they obtain and can get Christian counseling. Not just a psychologist or psychiatrist. But Christian counseling, very important, because the mind needs to be renewed. The scripture is clear that your mind and my mind, are, is, they are one of the most powerful things in the universe. Free will and choice are real and spiritual and they're scientific facts. You say, is there a verse in the Bible that says you can make choices? Oh, my goodness. Deuteronomy 31.19 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses to you today. He said to the people of Israel, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, so choose life so that you and your descendants may, and you could translate that, really live. Really live. Choose life. The Lord's telling them, make a choice. Your body is not in control. I'm I'm sorry. Your mind is in control of your body. Your body is not to be in control of your mind. Repeat. Your body is not in control of your mind. Your mind is in control of your body. Therefore, when we're talking about solutions, when we're talking about helping someone who's struggling with this, you want to talk to them about how they're thinking. You want to say, look, the Lord's going to help you in your thinking. In fact, he says in Philippians chapter 3, what sort of thing or 4, uh, what sort of things are right and true and honest and of good reports? Be thinking about these things. We have to be very careful. All of us have start to continue thinking about negative things. Negative? Or do we think about positive things, whatsoever is true and righteous and just? Sometimes we have to say to ourselves, wow, I have to step back. On how I'm thinking. I need to think in a way that honors and pleases God. Here's the verse again. Remember we talked about making choices. What did Jesus. Pardon me. What did the Lord say to the children of Israel? Choose life. Now what do we read in the New Testament? 2 Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity. To the obedience of Jesus Christ. 
We are to teach our thoughts to not be thinking in the wrong way. We are to teach our thoughts to think about the beauty of Christ, to think about the love that he has for us, think about the fact that he wants to go on the journey with us between now and when we are in glory. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We're to cast down things that we hear that are contrary to the word of God. Cast them down. Make sure you understand what they are, but look, do away with them. I still can't get away from that reference in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 15 where it says of King Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, don't miss this now, God made him to prosper. But when you go down further in the chapter where God kept blessing him and blessing him and it says he became strong and in his heart he began to not seek the Lord and worship God anymore. In our Sunday school class, we're studying the Old Testament. And we're studying about kings who started out well and didn't finish well, and God had to judge them because they went after other gods. And you say, why in the world would they go after other gods? Why in the world would they go? Well, listen, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, took to himself like 700 wives. What in the world does he want to do that for? I didn't expect to laugh on that. And it says in the text of Scripture, his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. That's why it's so important for our young people to have good Christian friends that support them and encourage them and pray with them and go to church with them. Because as, fr- as iron sharpens iron, so a person sharpens his friend. We need one another in the family of God. Take care of your mind. Your mind is very important. Read the word of God. Keep yourself stimulated in your thoughts. Remember that God says don't entertain negative thoughts. But like the psalmist, we could pray, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart please you, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. If you pray Psalm 19, verse 14 every day, you might be surprised how well your day is going to turn out. Psalm 19, 14. Let me close with this. I know we're running a little late. Remember the Lord Jesus when he was in the upper room? He held out his hands. He said to the disciples, see my hands? Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. They were resurrected hands with real nail scars, nail-caused scars. He held out his hands. The hiding of Caitlyn Jenner's masculine hands. Repeat. The hiding of Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner. In fact, he's still Bruce Jenner. (laughs) The hiding of Caitlyn Jenner's masculine hands. They dress him up to look like a woman. He's still a man. Shows that the way through and out of gender dysphoria, struggling in the mind, cannot be 
to try to change one's gender. That's not how you get out of gender dysphoria. You get out of gender fistoria, and you know the verse real well. And I am not saying that somebody struggling with that should not get counseling. Yes, they should get counseling, and they should have a Christian counselor who will use the Word of God, which we know, we just looked at the verse, renews the mind. But the solution is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's do it together. Here we go. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens.